Okay, how to find a choose uh, Arba Minim? What, what are you looking for? Torah says, There's a mitzvah to take four species on the first day of Sukkot. Um, the biblical mitzvah is, is on the first day. On, um, on, uh, in, in the diaspora, where we have a two days Yantif, so the second day is also similar to the first day. And has, I mean, it's not biblical because the second day Yantif is rabbinic, but it's the rabbinic replica of the first day, which is a biblical mitzvah, and there's certain requirements of the four species that are only relevant in those first two days. And then there's an additional takana that we should take the lula for the rest of the week for the days of Cholomoyed as well, obviously with the exception of Shabbos. So traditionally, there's a lot of significance placed in this mitzvah. Um, even though with all mitzvahs, there is a... Um, concept of Zekeh and Vehu to do the mitzvah beautifully, to get a beautiful mezuzah, a beautiful tefillin, a beautiful tzitzis, but specifically when it comes to the mitzvah of Dalad Minim, which the Torah refers to as creates Hadar, the beautiful fruit, so there is an extra emphasis on doing it in a manner of beauty. Um, now, unfortunately, what often happens is that people assume that if you're buying um, a little of an estrog from a pious-looking Jew, then that means it's kosher. Unfortunately, that's not the case, and that's not to blame the merchant. I don't know if it's possible for him to actually examine everyone. everyone. And we are each responsible to check when you're buying it that it's kosher and that it's mahudar. And sometimes if you have a doubt, you might want to ask somebody who has more experience in choosing them. And um, also not just that they're kosher, but that they are mahudar, that they are the best um, possible they could be, obviously depending on, on on your budget and whatever it is. But uh, it, it should be in, a, in in the best way possible. Um, in general, nowadays we're we're spoiled in that everybody has their own set, their own luluf. Didn't used to be that way. It used to be, you know, you were lucky if one person in town, if there, were, there was one set for the town and everybody made the bracha on that one. And that's perfectly legitimate if for whatever reason your budget or your circumstances don't allow you to get uh, a, a de cassette, then it's pure, perfectly legitimate for you to make the bracha on somebody else's set, you know, wait till you get to shul, whatever it is. And obviously, specifically on the first two days, it's a matana because it has to belong to you. So whoever owns the set will give it to you as a gift with the stipulation that it's a gift and condition that you return it to them afterward. And therefore, for the minute moments that you're holding it, it actually belongs to you. And then you can make the bracha on the most beautiful asterisk. And um, afterwards, um, you could use your own for Halil and Hashanahs and the sections of davening where we hold the little Vanessa. Of course, that's what Chassidim always used to do um, to bench on the on the Rebbe's little, which of course, in addition to the beauty, it was also the sort of the spiritual beauty that it was the, the one that the Rebbe had made the bracha on. Okay, so when it comes to the Esrug, so there is a lot of discussion in Halacha about grafted Esrugim, which on some level have been uh, fused or mixed with lemons. I'm not any expert on the agricultural side of it, and um, and uh, amongst those who are, there's a lot of debate of exactly what does it what does it mean to graft esrog, and whatever the case is, there are different communities that have different tradi- traditions about which paradise and which esrog orchards are muxik are considered assumed to be pure esrog without any guilty murka, without any grafting of other things. So, for example, there are certain people who will take only from certain orchards in Israel, only certain orchards in Morocco, etc. Now, in Chabad, there's a very strong tradition to take an esrog from Calabria. They are, they are called Calabria Nasrogim, which is a region in Italy. They are also called Yanova Nasrogim. If I'm not mistaken, um, Calabria is where they where they grow, and Yanov is the port from which they are exported. Geneva. It's, no, Geneva is well. Geneva is in Switzerland. Um, maybe it's the same root of the word. But anyway, if you see anywhere referred to Calabrian esregim, Yanov esregim, sometimes it's called Ganov esregim because they said a good instead of yeah or whatever it is. Is it translated to Genoa, Italy? I, I'm. Genoa. I'm I'm really not sure. I, I, I could easily find that. I actually I know a lot of people who go there every year, 
I have cousins who live in Italy who go there regularly, you know, family in Italy. Anyway, so our strong tradition is to take from there for a number of reasons. Number one, it's um, um, it's our, again, I don't know if I'm saying this in a specific order, but there are a couple of reasons why we take specifically from those Australians. Number one, is because those are our tradition is that those are those are Estrogim or Bilti Murkov, those are pure Estrogim. Now that has come under question over the years because it used to be that it was all wild for, for centuries, those Estrogim were all growing wild. In recent, in the last number of decades, um, um, in the last number of decades, when it's become more commercialized with farmers throughout the year, et cetera, so then the question is like, is there actual supervision as to what they're doing or not doing. Um, you know, we'll talk about a possible solution to that in a moment, but the, the tradition of taking a Yanava Esrig is, is very, very strong by Chabad, and there's stories, I, think, I don't remember the details of that, how, how in, in, in the difficult years, the Rebbe risked his life and crossed, smuggled across borders to be able to bring a Yanava Esrig back to, I assume, to Russia. And um, so, so, so it's a, it's a, it's a very strong emphasis on taking um, specifically Yanavas Reagan. Additionally, there's a tradition brought down from the Val Shemtov that when Hashem told Moshe Rabbeinu to take an Esrig, Moshe Rabbeinu sent Malachim, he sent angels to travel to Italy and to bring the Esrigim from Italy. And based on that tradition, that's an, an additional reason why we take the Esrogim specifically from Italy. Um, now, the Rebbe, I believe, I believe the Rebbe initiated it, but be that as it may, the fact is that there are in, nowadays in Eretz Yisrael, in Kfar Chabad, a number of orchards um, which are full of Esrogim, which are planted, all planted from an original Yanava Esrog, an Esrog from Italy, Actually, I believe they took a Esrogim, which the Rebbe himself used on Sukkot, and they took those seeds and replanted them in Eretz Yisrael and created those, what's called the Tvar Chabad Esrogim. And till today, many, um, many people, this is not just Chabad, thousands of people across Eretz Yisrael are makbits specifically to use Esrogim that come from Tvar Chabad because those are, have the lineage all the way back to the Yanava Esrogim. In fact, I remember personally, I was once on... In other words, in Chabad, there's a much stronger emphasis than in other circles, but even in other circles, there are many who uh, treat Yanav Esrogim with extra care or with extra preference, if you will. And I recall one time I was spending sukkahs in Antwerp in Belgium, and um, I don't remember if it was Chalamoy or the Yomte, I think it was Yomte, whatever it was. I was walking on time in the Diamond District, and on my way back from the Diamond District into, into sort of the from part of town, I was stopped right by the bridge. I was stopped by a Satmar Yid wearing a Shrimal, and he said, oh, do you have a Yanava Esrig? I want to, I want to, obviously he couldn't say the bracha. He had already said the bracha on his own Esrig, but he wanted to just have an opportunity to hold and do the Nanuim to shake a Yanava Esrig. Now, one of the, the, one of the virtues of taking the, the, the Esrig from Kvachabad versus the one from Italy is that, um, the ones from Fahabad were taken a long time before. There was, uh, you know, those are from the 70s, I think, whatever, before the controversy in recent years, which has become as to whether or not the ones from Italy are actually 100% reliable. So that's, that's one virtue. Uh, additionally, financially, it's, it's, it's much cheaper. I think, uh, I mean, relatively, they're cheaper. For, you, could get, you could get a very nice Fahabad Esrit probably for $60, $70. And to get a similar quality Yanava Esrig would probably be, I don't know, $150 or so. Um, so that's a, a, another virtue. However, the Rebbe does emphasize that there is a specific virtue to taking one specifically, not just that is from the Zam, it's called not just from the species of the Yanava Esrig, but actually one that grew, grows in Italy. And I don't know if this is the only reason, but one of the reasons that the Rebbe says is because Mishmane um, Ha'aretz, the fats of the land is Zuitali Shalyovan. The Pasuk refers to the fat of the land. Um, the Hazal say refers to Italy. And therefore, when it comes, we want to take a beautiful asterisk, physical beauty, and physical, physical sort of health, fleshy, you know, fruit, 
that is manifest more in Italy than in Eretz Yisrael, and therefore there is a specific violin taking a one that actually grew in Italy for the bracha. The Rebbe himself, if I'm not mistaken, made the bracha on the Yanava Esrog and also did the Nanuim, um, you know, shuk, just shook without the bracha on um, an Esrog from Kfar Chabad. Um, um, but be that as it may, the Chabad tradition is very particular, very strong that we should make the bracha on a Yanava Esrog, and if not a Yanava Esrog, then a Kfar Chabad Esrog, that is a quote-unquote grand, grandchild of the, the, the Yanava Esrog. Now, some of the halachas of an Esrog. So first of all, an Esrog has to be yellow. And one of the psalm of the Esrog is that if it's green, it's not kosher. The reason it's not kosher is because it's not fully grown. It has to be a fully grown esrog. Now, in order for the esrog to be non-kosher um, because of its greenness, it would have to be that the entire esrog is a very dark green. If even a part of the esrog has started to yellow, then that is considered um, good enough that it's a kosher esrog. And so in practice, it's, it's unusual, highly unusual. I, mean, I haven't seen the market perhaps this year. It's early, so it's a little bit more on the green side. I don't know yet. But um, it's highly unusual that you'll have an asterisk that the entire asterisk is completely green. Um, however, um, it's both in Seifam and Hogim, and this is, I, I believe, that it's based both in halachic authorities and also specifically Api Kabbalah, that it's best to have a yellow asterisk, and it says in Seifam and Hogim, Mara asterisk, Tzarek is Gel. The color of the asterisk has to be Gel. Gel means yellow in, in, in Yiddish. Um, yeah, it's the same word, yeah, Y-E-L, Gel, yeah, Y-E-L. Um, so, um, so, um, so we do have a specific preference to have the asterisk to be as yellow as possible. There are various tricks if you get your asterisk in advance, and they're very and, and you um, and it's it's too it's very green. There are tricks to get it to be yellow. One of the tricks that um, I've seen is that you put it on a bowl in a relatively warm place, surrounded by sweet apples, and the apples should be as close to it as possible without touching it. Um, so, you know, put it half, you know, very close. I, make sure, I don't remember why, but for some reason it was very thing you can't touch. Maybe it was because it was a concern that it would get overripe and too soft, whatever it was. Supposedly that works. Um, you, an, a, another practical consideration is that we're going to discuss in a moment um, blemishes, different things on the estrogen. Now, often when the estrogen is green, you don't see those things. And then as it becomes more yellow, um, they become more discernible. So that's another thing you want to try, another reason that you want to try and, if possible, find an asterisk that's as yellow as possible so you can see what's going on over there. Now, um, a pitam. So the thing is that if the asterisk is chas, if the asterisk is missing anything, any piece of it, it's not kosher. So um, if it has a hole, now it's, un, it's unusual, but it does happen that an asterisk could have a hole. Um, you know, if it gets in, gets in, 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 in uh, it comes in contact with something sharp or whatever it is. So there are a lot of halachas that pertain to holes in the asterisk, and you should make sure your asterisk doesn't have a hole. And if it does, then uh, discuss it with the rabbi because the, 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 there's a number of concerns. It depends on the size of the hole, and um, if there's a if there's a piece of the asterisk missing, um, then it's certainly a problem. Which, by the way. Sometimes you have a, a piece of dirt in the esrog. We'll see soon about the, this coloring. Sometimes you have a piece of dirt in the esrog, and you're trying to determine whether or not it's a stain on the esrog or it's an external piece of dirt. So you want to rub it off, but you have to be very careful when you rub it off to do so gently, because if you do it too rough and you take off even a small piece of the esrog skin, then that could be a problem. So if you have a hole that there's something missing from the esrog, it's a problem. If you have a hole that's just a pierce with nothing missing, then um, it depends how deep the hole is. And um, that, that, that may or may not also be a problem. Now, so if the pitum is missing, that's also a piece of the asterisk missing. Now, the pitum, um, there's there's two parts to the pitum. I'm just looking for a picture. There's the, the on the top of the asterisk, there's sort of a little wooden stem that protrudes, and on top of that, there's like a brownish colored. Uh, it's called the sheshanta, the crown, right? Now, the sheshanta, the crown part of it, if that's missing, that does not disqualify the asterisk. Um, the question is, um, if the, but if the pitum, which is the sort of the woody stalk that protrudes of the top of the esrog, is missing, then it would not be kosher, um, and that's only for the first two days. For the rest of sukkahs, if your pitum falls off, it is kosher. Now it's un, it's un, unusual 
that the pit that the entire pitum should fall off without anything left. Um, one second. And it seems to be machlekas that if a part of the pitum is left, if it's kosher or not. But certainly if the crown falls off the shashantan, it's certainly kosher. And also the ukats, the ukats is the stem on the bottom, which is where the actually the esrik actually it was connected to the tree. So that also you have to have a ukats, there has to be something there, but it could be very small. It doesn't have to be a long protrusion. As long as there's something there, it's kosher. Now sorry. So this is the this is the ukats, this is the stem where it grows off the tree. And in this in this picture, he's showing you the, the pitum falling off. You have the pitum and the shishanta fell off over there. Um, and I'm not sure if this particular book has a clear picture of an asterisk with the pitum. Now, often you see here, here this is a funny shaped um, asterisk, but, but you see that the, the pitum is the green part protruding, and then the shishanta is the brown part on top. Um, is that the stem that it grows from? No, the stem that grows from is on the bottom. That's the, you can't see it in this picture. That's, a, that's this one. Right? Um, now, but you may say, well, often you see that asteroid um, without the pitum. So the answer is that if, if the pitum fell off, while it was still in the tree, so there's different opinions. Some say that the pitum has to actually fall off in the very, very early stages of its growth. But I believe that the widely accepted custom is that as long as the estrog fell off while, the, sorry, the pitum fell off while the estrog was still attached to the tree, then it's considered um, kosher. And often the Calabrian estrogim are like that, they have no pitum, and that's sort of fine. Some have a personal preference to have with the pitum. Um, some authorities say there's a halachic preference. The Rebbe certainly, I don't know exactly, but certainly there were many years where the Rebbe used an estrog from Calabria without a pitum. And either way, it's certainly fine. Now, somebody with an experienced eye could look at it and tell you um, when the pitum fell off, um, depending, like if it falls off while it's still growing, then the flesh around it will grow up a little bit and it will create sort of a little indent. But it might take a little bit of experience to be able to, 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 to tell that, but um, that's as far as the pitum is concerned. Um, now, Discoloring. So, any discoloration of the esrog is a problem. Anything that's not a natural color. Practically speaking, what we postulate is that that means if there's a black dot or a white dot, if it's black or white, it's a problem. And also, we mark, I think, for brown, try to be um, for reddish brown. Um, now, it depends where that spot is. There's basically, we'll divide the esrog into two. There's the choytem, which literally means the nose of the esrog, which is the top, usually it's approximately the top third of the esrog from where the esrog starts to go slanting upward toward the, toward the top, toward the pitum. Um, so those, uh, the, the, sometimes it's that, especially the Calabrian esrogim are more usually flat on top than are the Moroccan and the Israeli esrogim. But anyway, that, top slope, the slopey top part of the esrog, that is considered the chaitim. And that it's brought that that's sort of more discernible, more um, obvious discernible. And therefore, if there's any discoloration in that section, it disqualifies it. So one of, one, this is a very common problem, very common issue to, to be aware of when before you pay for the esrog, yeah, to look, turn it around, look at the entire chaitim of the esrog and see, is there anything, any black or white dots in or even brown dots in that section of the of, of the of the asterisk. Now, even if there is, it may still be kosher, depending on exactly how black or white it is, or is it again, like I said before, is it is it actually a black part of the asterisk, or is there some black dot of a piece of dirt that's that's sort of stuck to it and it could come off if you rub it gently, um, etc. But I mean, you could ask this the asterisk um, merchant to, to help you to determine. You could ask a rav, or you could just choose a different asterisk. That's something to be very careful of. That the esrog shouldn't have any um, black or white dots in that top section, in the slopey section on the top of the esrog. And even a single black dot in that section could disqualify the esrog. And that would be disqualified even for the not just on the first days, but even during Cholamoy, during the last, the last days of service. 
if it's lower down on the answer, so then one black dot is okay. Um, it's only disqualified if it has, and I'm forgetting right now if it's two or three. Um, it's two or three black dots. Let me just check here. Two. Yeah, it seems like it's two. I'm pretty sure that it, two black dots. So on the lower part of the asterisk, if you have one black dot, it's okay. If you have two, then it's a problem. I have in my head that I might be sure. Whatever the case is, so the, the, that, that black dot. So sometimes you see, because we'll see, we'll talk soon about the blethel, which is a different type of discoloration, which halakhically is no problem at all. Um, and um, so, so if you, but, 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 but you have to be careful. There shouldn't be any black dots. You have to look out for them. And often you see, oh, I have a beautiful asterisk. There's not even a single blethel on it, which is a beautiful hither. But there's not a single blethel, and there is one black dot on the top or two black dots somewhere else. Then uh, it's a beautiful asterisk, but, it, but it's not kosher. Um, okay. Um, then you have, okay, so a blethel. The blethel, literally the word blethel just means leaf. Um, I think the reason why it's called a blethel is because it's a type of stain that usually happens during... Blethel don't come off. It does come off. No, blethel, they do come off. I, I've never seen a blethel come off. That's when the leaf sits on it when it's grown, right? Yeah. And then take it off with the little blethel. Blatlach, I don't believe blatlach come off. They're caused from when the when there's a leaf sitting on the estrog during its growth or a branch and then something touching it and it, but it blocks the sunlight or it causes sustain, whatever it is. Now those blatlach are usually like a beige color, um, you know, the, and 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 um, usually they don't disqualify the estrog. Certainly, if they're not raised, if they're flush with the level level with the estrog, then certainly they're okay. And um, even if they if they protrude, sort of if they if they if they're actual bumps, I think it's machlokes. Um, usually they're okay, but 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 again, if they're raised, I'm not sure how we pass them if it's actually a problem or not. Um, but um, but either way, it's certainly a hidur. It's certainly a beautification of the mitzvah to try and find the answer with no blatlach or with as little with as little blatlach as possible. And here too, we have the same sort of hierarchy that having a blatl on the top, slopey part of the asterisk is, is much more, quote, damaging than is having a blatl somewhere on the lower part of the asterisk. Again, if a blatl is surface flush level with the rest of the asterisk, then it's certainly, even if it's on the chaytem, it's still kosher. Um, I think that if it's a raised bump in more than either on the on the chaytem and then the slope or in more than one place, then it would be a problem. Anyway, um, now there's another type of discoloration of the asterisk which comes from a lot of usage as psuchus progresses and you're holding it a lot, and especially if you go on with time and it gets handled a lot, wow. it gets brown. That is not considered the discoloration of the asterisk and does not disqualify it. And on the contrary, it's a beautification of the mitzvah that more mitzvahs were done with it. It's a, it's a symptom of having more mitzvahs. It's being, that the esk was used even more for mitzvahs, so it's even um, more beautiful. Okay, let's move on to the lulav. Um, the lulav. Hmm? The lulav has to be, yes. Go well, back to the Esra. I yes. was thinking of the ones that nowadays, of course, they'll sell more of the pithomless uh, esrog. And because it takes a very fine eye and experience to know whether it's kosher or not, it's preferred to buy the one with the pithom. Certainly. That's the easiest way to do it. Right. Yeah, and that, yeah, and and that's the yeah. um, if you trust the guy who's selling it to you and he tells you that he can tell you this is for sure kosher, then that's fine. But if you want to 
if you want to be more certain, then that's certainly appropriate, yeah. In terms of uh, <clears throat> the shape, um, there uh, is a beautiful what... picture of a Chabad Esri in the book, The Fourth Species, all the illustrations. And it shows the Gartel. Yes. So that... and, the, and the comment was, no one knows the source. Yeah. Right. Yeah. In general, people also, I should mention, people also look, there's no halachic source for this, but people, it's called a nice giggle. People like to have an asterisk in a nice shape. Now, halachically, the only shape of an asterisk that will disqualify it is if it's if it's either deformed and weird it's shape, totally or if it's round. If it's ogokokado, if it's round, then it's disqualified. But other than that, it's kosher. However, people also look as a preference for a beautiful shape, which means that it's all neat and symmetrical and straight. And additionally, people have a thing to, to have an estrog with a gartel, that's sort of the inside, sometimes in the middle of the estrog, like what you would call around the waist of the estrog, there's a nice intrusion around the estrog, which gives the image of the, the, the gartel. So again, that's a preference that a, a, a lot of people have, which all adds to the beauty of the mitzvah. Okay. Let's move on to Lulav. So Lulav has to be capitalized tomorrow. There's Machlikus, whether it has to be from a palm tree that actually grows, grows dates or not. Um, it has to be capitalized. The leaves have to be together. It can't be spread out. So that's why we get those Lulavs which are straight like a stick. Um, it would have to, in order for it to be disqualified, it would have to be very strongly spread out, which is, at least nowadays, is very uncommon. Now, um, we'll talk soon about what are the things specifically to look for in a Lulav. But um, the, 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 nowadays on the market, certainly in America, there's basically more or less two types of lulavim. There's the generic ones, which, you know, you take the common box with a whole bunch of them and you take them out until you find a nice one. You're looking for one that's very green, um, as straight as possible, making sure it's not split, which we'll talk about in a moment, um, and uh, the best you can. Then there's what they call dairy lulavim, um, which uh, usually, nowadays they usually come individually wrapped in a special box with, you know, very carefully prepackaged each lulav. And those of you obviously are a little bit more expensive. Um, now, so what are you looking for? So, so those are usually, again, they're more green, they're more straight and um, less, uh, more beautiful. Now, in practice, you want to make, sh- sh- so, the, so the thing is that there's what's called the tiyomis. The tiyomis is the middle leaf. The structure of that lulav is that there's the spine and out of the spine are growing on either side leaves. Each of those leaves is really a double. That means that they're joined on the back, they're connected over here. If you take any leaf of the ester, of the lulav and rip it off, you'll see that you could split it into two. That's how you make the rings, by taking those two parts. And, I mean, you could make a ring with one part, but uh, yeah. Um, now, if you follow it up, if you take apart the lulav, you follow it up to the tip of the spine, you'll see at the tip of the spine, there's one leaf that's growing upward. That leaf, it's, it's usually, it's called the middle leaf. It's, uh, it's, it's usually the center. Yeah, it could be a little bit off, it doesn't matter. That middle leaf is called the tiyoimis. And the middle leaf should not be split, right? So like I said, each leaf of the lulub has those two things. So you want to check the, 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 the tip of the tiyoimis to make sure that it's still intact. Now, the truth is that halakhically speaking, as long as it's... Um, connected most of the way. In other words, even if it's split an inch or two, it's still going to be kosher. Um, it only comes disqualified if it's split all the way down or, or, or perhaps if it's split roiv. I forget now. I think there's, there's two shiurim, a roiv and a tefach. But if it's just split a little bit, it doesn't really matter. As long as it's not called like a, a, um, there's a it's called a um, hamnik, hamnik, which basically means like a Y. Right? So if you have the two edges here, he has a picture. You see over here, uh, um, you have the, sometimes you'll have, I mean, it's rare to see this, but you will sometimes see the two, the two halves of the leaf sort of mamish not just being split, but actually sort of being bent out into opposite directions, then it would be disqualified. But if it's just split a tiny little bit, it's okay. Um, however, the minhag is to be makhmed, if possible, that it should actually be completely intact without even a, a little bit of split. So when you're looking through the box of the loving over there, you know, that's what you're looking for. One of the main things you're looking for is to try and make sure that the middle leaf, the tiyomes, is completely intact. Um, now, the truth is that even if it is split all the way down, it's still going to be kosher after for Cholomoyed. It's only for the first days that it has to be intact, uh, strictly speaking, certainly. 
But 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 halachically, it's perfectly okay if it's split after after the first days of Sukkot. By the way, the same is true of an asher without the pitum. If the pitum falls off um, after on Cholamayid, then it's still okay to use for the bracha. Um, there, there are basically, but, but just to, to give you some some frame of reference, there are numerous requirements for each of the species. Each one has its own full simon and shulchan aruch, and they are basically divided into two categories. One is because it says you have to take on the first day. And that word that you should take can also be read as to take a complete, it should be complete. So any any disqualification that is because the, 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 it's not complete, for example, if it's split or if the, if the leaf is split or if the pitam falls off, anything like that, is only by only on the first day or in it's the first two days. And therefore in it's not a concern. But then there are other things which are pre-etzhada, that it's not considered beautiful. If it has, for example, if the asterisk has a black dot, it's not beautiful. So that disqualifies even um, on the rest, because that's not an infringement on Laki Khatama, it's an infringement on pre-etzhada, which is equal for all days of Sukkot. Okay, so that's the general rule. And you go through in Shulchan Aruch, and it says, this is only the first day. This is, you know, the fact that it has to belong to you, that's only on the first days, because that it should belong to you is only on the first days. Why do uh, people who go out with a little benesrig and have uh, strangers bench little benesrig, why don't they say uh, something about almanas lahas lahasir? So they should. But if they just have it in mind, then that's good enough. Uh, halakhically speaking, just having it in mind is probably good enough. Um, yeah. And on Cholomoyed, it's not necessary. Some say that the Rebbe did. And it's unclear to me whether or not uh, the Chabad custom is to do it all the days of Sukkot. But certainly, halakhically, there's no reason to do it on Cholomoyed. Okay. Now, there's another thing called Lulav HaKofov. Lulav HaKofov means if it's bent, if the spine of the Lulav is bent. And that's another thing, people, you're looking at the lulav to make sure it's straight. Now, halakhically, unless it's mamish bent over, it's still going to be kosher. But ideally, you don't want it to be just straight-ish. You want it to be completely straight. Um, however, that's if the spine is bent. Sometimes you have, and I'll show you a picture in a moment, sometimes you have the tip of the, of the leaf, and the tip of the lulav is, um, is bent. That's called, they call that, um, it's called... It's called um, no, like the top of each leaf, instead of being straight pointy, it's a little bit bent. And some Rishon names, some Paschum say, prefer to have a little bit Knaplach for two reasons. First of all, this way is much less likely to be split. You know that it's actually kept intact. And B, you also know that it's not Niktam. One of the disqualifications of a little would be if the tip of the leaf, if the tip of the lulav was trimmed, if something cut off the very tip of the lulav. So if it's bent over like that, then you could see very obviously that nothing of it was missing. So here you see a picture of those uh, um, oh, one second. Yeah, yeah, this is the pictures of the Knaplach. Just the baby one above it. I don't know. Um, so Knaplach are very common and some people prefer to look for them. The Chabad tradition is brought in Sefer HaMinhagim is Dafka to not have Knaplach, to look that the leaves should be as straight and pointy at the top as possible. So which is better? You go to the, you go to the, to the Lulav market and some people will be, will be specifically looking for one with Knaplach and some people will be specifically looking for one without, without Knaplach. And it just depends on your particular tradition. Again, the Chabad tradition is with, to not have Knaplach. Now there's another thing called Kara. Kara is... The, the the brown mach mach it's called mach called kara that's the brown thing that uh, grows on, on on top of the little here you see a picture of it you see that now again there's some say that there is a value to have the kara on it because that way it's if you if it's intact to the kara then um you know, chances are there's nothing tipped off and then there's nothing snipped off in the top and, you know, it's going to be intact, et cetera, et cetera. There's also people who are against using the Kara because, um, again, there may be more reasons specifically to have Kara. Um, there's two reasons that are brought that I know of not to have Kara. One is because you can't really know what's going on underneath. 
um, it's, it's unlikely to be split, but it's possible to be split and you can't examine it. Um, it's possible that it has kneplach, and if you don't want kneplach, then uh, you need to be able to see the under the kara. Um, another problem with the kara is that the kara sort of binds the lulav together. As the kara comes off, the leaves become more loose and wavy. Now, one of the very important uh, things of the of the lulav is not just holding it, but the nanuim, then that it shakes. And uh, you shake it, the leaves are supposed to rustle a little bit, and that's especially true on Hashan Rabbah. That's why on Hashan Rabbah, before Halal, we take off the two rings that are underneath, that are that are just hold, binding a little. If we take them off, why do you take them off? Because you want it to be extra wavy, the Nanuim. Um, so that's a problem when you have the Kara that it doesn't, it doesn't wave, it holds it all intact. Lemaisa, the Chabad tradition is. This is, I don't believe this is an official Chabad tradition. It's not mentioned in Sefer Minogim. But nevertheless, um, I think it's also the Sfadi tradition, but certainly the tradition, I believe, by the Rabbeim was to prefer a lulav with the mach. Um, and um, I don't know. I don't know what they do, what, what the answer is. Like, what do, you do, what, what, what do you do about the Nanuim? Usually, by the time you get to Ishan Rabba, there's not much mach left over there and it's going to wave. But even for the first days of Sukkot, Maybe perhaps if you if you break down the, if there's no car on the lower leaves, so then you have the anum with the lower leaves. It, it's, it's it's unclear to me exactly, but that is our tradition. And here again, when you get to when you look at those more expensive, the dairy lulavim, the prepackaged ones. So there's two types. There are the prepackaged dairy lulavim with with mach and without mach, right? And there's some people who are going to be specifically looking for the ones with mach, and some who are going to be specifically looking for the ones. Without and again, Chabad custom is to look with with mach. If you want to make sure that there's no kneplach, so if you look at usually, if the top leaf has a knepel, if the top leaf is bent over a little bit, then the lower leaves, the tip of the lower leaves, is also not going to be so pointy. So if you get a little of and you can see that the lower leaves are very straight and pointy, then chances are that the top leaf under the kara is also going to be um, is also going to be uh, completely straight. Yeah, it's not an that. analogy to that would be eating corn. When you're feeling the corn, many times there's left a leaf or so that clings to the corn. But when you lift that leaf, you found you find things that uh, that you don't want to see. So uh, that's in the support of those who say without knock. Right. Our tradition has been through Rabbi, all the way to Rabbi Jacobson, who was the one who brought for the Rebbe with Ma. Right. Okay, moving on to the Hadassim. Now, Hadassim is um, a very, they, they are problematic. In other words, don't assume that the Hadassim that you buy are kosher, check them. You must check them. But in fact, this year, there's this whole scandal going on. There's a video making its rounds on social media of some place in Israel, which has a heksher that all the hadassim are examined by um, God-fearing Jews. And there's a video of a whole bunch of Arabs packing them. Mm. Whatever the case is, I don't know, you know, I don't know where that video is from. And there if are it's... many who change their hadassim. Well, one moment, one moment. Um, the... Lemaisa, you have to check. You have to check the Hadassim. What are you checking for? So you're checking mainly for two things. First of all, you want to make sure that the top is, is, not, is not trimmed off. If the top is trimmed off, it's not kosher. So you could see, you could very, just by examining it, you could see how, you know, it's very obvious to see what, uh, if a Hadass is trimmed, it's quite obvious to tell. Now, the other thing is that a Hadass has to be Mashulish. Mashulish means that all three of, it's called a Khan. A Khan is a set of three, three leaves that grow from around, you know, around the twig. So all three of them have to protrude at exactly level, right? If you have two protruding on the same level and one protruding a little lower or a little higher, then that's no good. Now, so one second, let's see exactly what now. Basically, the way it works is the, the hadas grows. So at the top of the hadas, the top few bunches, the top few kinim are always going to be on a level. Then as you go further and further down the branch and they've grown bigger and the twig is thicker, et cetera, it's gonna become out of sync and there's no longer gonna be three all in an equal row. So ideally, the best way possible is to have three tfachim of hadas. Three tfachim, um, 
it's it's 24 centimeters, approximately nine, I think nine and a half inches. Um, you want to ideally the best way possible is to have that the entire top nine inches, nine and a half inches of the hadas should be mashulish, should be that all of them are coming out at the same spot. Um, now, the basic hadasim that are quote, quote unquote included in your set, they're not going to have not going to have that. If you want to get that, you have to buy sort of separately the more expensive hadasim. It's kosher if the majority of the kinim in the in in the in the in in that area are mashulish. Let me let me first show you a picture. Um, look, so there's actually. Uh, I mean, here, if you can see these pictures, 10 and 11, you'll see that 10 is, they're all coming out equal, and 11, you can see one of them is a little bit higher. Yeah? Um, so this is the way it's good that they're all coming out on the same on the same exact spot. There's a, there's a question of how equal it has to be. Here you have a picture. Most of, most of them on the lower levels are two and one. Yes. If you look here, we'll get, if you look here, this one, they're not exactly level, but they're all that one that red line does sort of touch a part of the stem of each of the leaves. So the Chazanish holds that that's also called Mushulish. Be that as it may, um, you need to have most you have to have that the majority of the leaves are 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 are, are Mushulish. Not the majority of the leaves of the whole stalk, but the majority of the leaves of the requirement of three tvachim, um, starting from the top down. Now here we have a big kula of the Alter Rebbe that many poskim hold that it has to be the majority of the area. So that means three tefachim is the minimum requirement. So you need to have more than a tefach and a half that the leaves of Meshulosh. The simple reading of the Alter Rebbe is that he's more lenient than that. And he holds that it doesn't need to be more than a tefach and a half. It has to be the majority of the leaves. Now, as the, the higher you go on the stalk of the Hadas, the closer together are the, are the things. So in the top, Third, let's say in the top one tefach of the hadas, you might have as many stalks and leaves, uh, stems and leaves, as you have in the bottom two tefach, because as you go lower down, as the hadas grows, they become further apart from each other. So, uh, so for those following the Alter Rebbe, that's a leniency, which makes much more of the hadasim kosher according to Alter Rebbe. I've, I've seen a check hadasim, I've had years when I've checked hadasim for many people, and uh, very often I've seen hadasim which Without that kula of the Rebbe would be very would be very problematic. Um, some say also that the hat the leaves should every leaf should be tall enough to touch the bottom of the leaf on top of it. Usually that's the case. Anyway, um, yeah. So if you but 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 if you okay. So, so the Chabad custom is actually to make sure to have more than three hadasim. The minimum requirement is one little one esrug, three hadasim and two arovis. The Chabad custom is, the Radi the Rambam talks about this, the Chabad custom is to have more Hadassim. How many more? So as many, there's certain specific numbers that you're supposed to avoid. They're listed in the same Hagim. Ideally, we get numbers that are divisible by three because our custom is to set up the Luluv in a way that you have one, a third of the Hadassim on the right, a third of the left, and a third on the top um, when you set it up. So you get six, you get 12. The Rebbe used to have 36. Now, we'll talk about the Aravis in a moment, but one virtue to having many Hadassim, in addition to the value in and of itself of having more Hadassim, is that it helps maintain the freshness of the Aravis. So that's sort of a side benefit that the, <clears throat> that the, um, the Aravis remain fresher when, you, when they're surrounded by more Hadassim. Um, so you don't need to, I, you know, what I try to do at least three out of however many Hadassim I'm going to have, I want to make sure that at least three of them have the other uh, the hatchila requirement that the entire three tvachim but sometimes it's very expensive i think last year i had to pay like 25 or 30 dollars for just for three stalks of hadasim which had the entire three tvachim completely mashulish so um but but but, but yeah you could have a uh, check the hadasim that's the main thing check them and at least a tafakh and at least the majority of the three tvachim should be um should be mashulish um now the, from the top from the top down exactly um the aravis um again basically the aravis the aravis the stalks have to be red but in practice you don't have to have all the stalks being red they should, 
uh, it's ideal to try and find some redness somewhere on the stalk. Um, so, you know, there are rubbers that grow in Europe, a beautiful dark green leaves with bright red stalks. In America, you don't really find that. Um, but, um, but, but, but there shouldn't be some redness to the stalk. Um, that's that's a requirement of Arabis. Of course, the tip has to be not trimmed off. Now, some usually are often on the top of the Arabis, at the tip, there's like these very small baby leaves. Some people have a preference to have those leaves there, but if those those leaves come off, it doesn't it doesn't matter as long as the tip of the twig is intact. Um, and also, you need to have the majority of the leaves of the Arabis. Now, of all the four species, the Arabis usually um, or often, you will have to change them in the middle of Sukkot because either the leaves are becoming too dried out or a lot of the leaves have fallen off. They fall off very easily, especially if you have those baskets. We have the rings, so it's easier if you have the baskets, they push them in. In general, when you put, if you have the baskets, when you put in the, the Hadassim and the Arobis, you want to sort of squeeze the basket to open up the hole so that you're not ripping off the leaves as you're putting the Hadassim and the Arobis in them. I don't know if the reason why Chabad don't do that basket is for this concern, but it, or if there's another reason, for whatever reason, our minhag of having, I don't know why we don't have it, but one, certainly one benefit of not having the basket is I that we don't, don't know. Uh, certainly a benefit, again, I don't know if this is the reason, but there's certainly a strong benefit is that you don't risk pulling off the leaves when you put them into the basket. But keep an eye on your, on your you know, everybody has their way of keeping, you know, you put it in a vase with some water, you wrap it with a little bit of a damp cloth, whatever your, preference of how you store your lulavis, keep an eye on them and check your aravis and most likely and here you know Swashraz's Park it's very easy to find aravis. Go to Kashastam and Halamayad, you know, it's very likely that you'll have to um you know ch change them. Um, the, the, the Arava, even and even if you don't have to, it's customary, it's brought in safe from it's customary to change them um on on on, on to have them be more fresh, you know, even if they're still gone, they're not, they're not as fresh as they were in the beginning. Well, now you also have to make sure that you have the majority of the leaves. Now, another specific custom is that the Hadassim be longer than the Arabis. We're trying to somewhat camouflage the Arabis. So you have many Hadassim that camouflages it, but also in the height, right? So if you have the baskets, you have the Hadassim on the right, the Arabis on the left, whatever it is. So you see them both. But the way we do it is we put the lulav down on the table and you put the arobis immediately next to it and then you wrap it around with the hadassim and you put the rings. So you try to camouflage it. And what you do is you trim the arobis down a little bit. Obviously, they still have to have their requisite shear. Um, um, but you trim them down from the bottom. If you trim it from the top, you've snipped the top and it's going to disqualify it. You trim it down from the bottom so that the hadassim should be taller than the arobis. Another important thing to be careful of when you're preparing your, your thing is that the spine of the lulav has to protrude a tefach beyond the hadassim and the arabis. Now, again, a hadas has to be three tefachim, which is, I don't know, it's small, 10 inches like this. In practice, usually hadassim are five tefachim or six tefachim, right? Now, you could trim them down, again, trim from the bottom. Um, but whatever you do, you have to make sure, and this is even more problematic when you have a basket, which often like moves upwards, so you have to really make sure that it's all the way at the bottom when you make the, when, when you're holding it, is that um, the spine of the lulav has to protrude a tefach beyond the hadassim. Now, the lulav itself usually protrudes at least a tefach, if not more, beyond the spine, right? The spine of the lulav comes to here, and then there's the leaf that comes all the way out of the spine. So you, in practice, again, every lulav is different, but in practice, your lulav has to protrude uh, probably about I don't know, 13, 14, 15 inches um, beyond, uh, is that true? Yeah, uh, no, um, it, uh, 12, 13 inches, probably. Hold on, no less, it's 10 inches, whatever it is, uh, beyond the Hadassim in order for the spine. It's very obvious to see, you, you, look, at, you, you look at it, it's very, it's very obvious to see where the spine of the loop ends. And you want to make sure that between the tip of the hadasim and the aravis and the edge of that spine is at least a tefach, which is eight centimeters, whatever that is, about uh, three inches. Um, so you're going to have another. I'm exaggerating. It's not thirteen. Yeah, it, it's it's uh, it's gonna it's usually going to be six, seven, eight inches from the tip of the hadasim till the tip of the lulav at least. Um, and you, 
usually it's going to be fine. There's also a preference. Like some people don't like to have a very tall lulav and they want to trim down the lulav, which is totally fine. You trim it from the bottom, it's fine. As long as you have the requisite shear that the hadasim and the arobas are three tzvachim and the spine of the lulav protrudes the tetap beyond that, um, that's okay. Um, another, just one more thing I'll mention is that also when you're holding the lulav and esrog throughout, so whether it's halal, hishadis, whatever it is, as much as possible, you should always be careful to hold it with two hands. So Hashanah, if you're able to have the card and you balance it between your fingers, if you could just repeat from the chazan, if you can't, you can't. Whatever, some people hold the siddur, you hold it like this, that's also fine. Ideally, whenever you're holding in the lulav and esrog, it should always be in two different hands. Um, and if you're going on miftoim, um, also be careful if somebody ha- has something in the hand, they should put it down, or if not, you give them the lulav, take it back, and then you give them the esrog. You never give them the lulav and esrog um, to hold in one hand. Um, let's see if there's anything important we skipped. I hope not. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I know, Shana Rabba, when you're buying the uh, Hoshanas, some people use those Hoshanas to change their uh, and the lulav. Either Hedurim and the Hoshanas themselves are usually much bigger. And I don't think they're with all the Hedurim of. Uh, I'm not aware. I mean, again, if they're too, they could be too big. You want to make sure they're not, yeah. that the spine of the Lulav is still protruding a tafak beyond them. Any any questions before we close out? When you typically order um, it depends where it depends <laughs> where you're buying it from. I mean, there's Rabbi Gurevich, I believe he's the only Chabad. I get it. Somebody gets a friend of mine gets them from New York, but uh, um, Rabbi Gurevich, I don't, I don't know if he still has or if he's closed already. If he's still taking orders, do you know? No, I just looked at it when I was getting mine. Somebody, I, 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 do you know? Do you know if he's still taking orders? That I don't know. I don't know. And there's also, I mean, there's many throughout. There's Kashastam, there's all the throughout. There's, I know there's Rabbi Reisman sells and Sorry, Yochman doesn't do it anymore. There's Rabbi Reisman who does it in the Wi Fi building. Um, I, I don't know for sure that he 